You're listening to a February 2016 podcast from the Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice at McKinsey & Company. I'm Dennis Swinford, Editor. Board governance continues to evolve to meet changes in regulatory compliance and the strategic needs of companies, and the role of the board director is increasingly transparent. In this podcast, McKinsey's Bill Hewitt joins Werner Rehm to talk about how board governance has changed in recent years and how CEOs and CFOs can work together to improve a company's performance. Bill is an emeritus director in the Boston office, and Werner is an entity partner in New York. We'll start with Werner. Thanks, Bill, for uh, joining us today on the podcast. Um, we thought we would talk a little bit about managing boards and uh, the trends over the last couple of years and, uh, and the tips and tricks, if you want, on how to lead a board for the most impact for the company. So very excited to have you as one of our leading thinkers on that topic. I'm uh, excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So to get started, Bill, as you've mentioned in previous discussions, there have been some pretty significant shifts in governance over the last decade. Assuming we're talking primarily about U.S. boards, um, there, there are some echoes of the same shift in the U.K. And, and the continent and elsewhere. But maybe let's start with what has been going on in the last decade in corporate governance in the United States? I think you could say the pendulum is swinging back uh, from an extreme of um, regulatory compliance. I, I would call it uh, generic regulatory compliance in the sense that this was uh, um, board's uh, correct emphasis on ensuring that they were in compliance with the expectations of securities uh, and exchange commission expectations. Uh, SOX being the, the most prominent of those, but, but not the only one. And there was uh, a good 10 years uh, where um, SOX compliance and associated ERM matters uh, were center stage for boards. And again, I, I would say appropriately so. But that is changing, and I think uh, the pendulum is swinging back uh, uh, to where boards are emphasizing far more the performance of the company. Um, uh, for its owners, um, long-term uh, value creation for shareholders and all of the questions around the company's uh, strategy performance as well as the uh, various industries that that company might be in. So that's interesting. What, what are the implications of that pendulum swinging in the other direction for the folks that are being recruited and added to boards? And how are they expected to add value now that the pendulum is in the other direction? There was a period where uh, regulatory expertise um, and, and cross-industry pattern recognition around compliance was pretty important. Uh, that's much less valuable today than people with uh, um, deep industry experience, but importantly experience from outside the industry but on themes, be it strategic or operational or technological, that are important to the company. Um, the second major implication is boards are expecting more from their CEOs, and the comfortable relationship and crony relationship that characterized some boards, though I think that's often blown out of proportion, uh, has nearly vanished. And then the, the third implication is is where the board spends its time. Uh, not surprisingly, these notions of, of compliance are moving lower on the agenda, and uh, topics around corporate strategy, corporate performance, 
uh, investor expectations are moving um, up on the agenda. If I may go back to some of the context points that you were making, don't board members also have much more at stake today with regard to their personal reputation? Like every other sector of uh, our society, uh, there is uh, almost complete transparency uh, around board membership. Um, and the personal reputations of board members are increasingly uh, at stake uh, in particularly contentious situations. Uh, activist investors are uh, an obvious uh, example of that, where, where the activist makes quite public accusations uh, of boards of directors and, and what they've done or not done. Uh, but also just press attention uh, on uh, the behavior of a specific company or the behavior of companies more broadly, uh, be it uh, with foreign corrupt practices, uh, with gender balance on boards, uh, you name it. Uh, a host of um, non-governmental uh, entities like ISS that play quite important roles in um, uh, how board members are perceived, are ranked, and in turn, how uh, companies are seen by, by investors. And, and lastly, um, uh, outside of activists, investors, the expectations of the very largest uh, holders of securities, starting with the index funds of, of uh, the Fidelities and, and T. Rowe Price uh, and others, uh, the, the expectations uh, that those investors have uh, for individual board members uh, have gone way up. Uh, and many of these investors have gone from being uh, quite silent on the topic to being uh, quite vocal. Interestingly, uh, these index funds, uh, uh, because they must be in a security, uh, increasingly have a point of view which they articulate, which is uh, uh, it is in the interest of my holders that we as uh, uh, index fund holders are active in corporate governance because it's the only degree of freedom we have. We can't sell the stock. So... Maybe moving on to a slightly different angle, the level of uncertainty and risk that boards are confronting, some of which are probably quite novel and at least in order of magnitude different than what they've faced before. How, how should we think about that? If you just go down the list of, of everything that is uh, moving under the feet of board members, uh, from business model disruption uh, caused by new entrants, uh, caused by technology, um, Shifts in big markets. Look what oil has done over the past couple of years. Look what China has done over the past couple of years. These gigantic markets um, have a profound impact on certain sectors of the economy and the prospects for companies. Uh, topics that you never used to see before, cybersecurity, uh, geopolitics, uh, and, and associated risks that are typically not on the ERM map of, of many companies. And then, and then finally, uh, uh, the world is changing from a from a social standpoint, and the uh, expectations of uh, the, the the citizenship role that boards uh, and their companies play are changing. So, again, one at a time. Uh, they aren't daunting, but you add them all up, and when you meet with board members, uh, you have a sense that uh, they are uh, grappling with uncertainty in ways that they would not have at least admitted uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So with these sort of changes all at once, how much of that is driven by sort of what we read in the newspaper, activist shareholders, um, a lot of push for, uh, you know, sometimes large transactions, 
breakups, those kind of things, versus, quite frankly, just opportunities. I think the activists uh, are not primarily responsible for this. They're the most obvious from a media standpoint. But I, I think the roots actually go back to the Great Recession. And we saw coming out of the Great Recession a far more fundamental examination on the part of virtually every large corporation of why are we in the businesses we're in? We, we've just seen a shock, uh, and, and at least my impression is that ha that woke up both senior leaders of companies and directors of companies, that there are much more basic questions about uh, the corporation's uh, scope, uh, how the corporation uh, delivers value in the businesses it's in. So I think the combination of that shock and the uh, transformative impact of, of some of these uh, social and global economic forces uh, combined are what have driven this. Um, that in turn uh, uh, caused investors of all kinds to, to just be more interested uh, in and active in the performance of the company relative to uh, peers. So I, I think activists just happen to be uh, act, uh, active, uh, if you'll forgive the, the pun uh, today, I, I don't think it would be uh, accurate to, to uh, uh, attribute to them uh, uh, being the cause of all this. Okay, so so then if that, I hesitate to use the word pressure, if that trend comes from all investors, how, what do CEOs, what do CEOs have to do or can they do to lead the board along the way? short of sort of exchanging all the board members at once, right? Yeah, uh, which I think is, is rarely required, to be honest. I, the, the, the quality of board members uh, across most large U.S. public companies is quite high. I think this is more uh, the CEO and or board chair uh, taking a step back and saying, how do we reallocate uh, how the board spends its time and in turn how uh, management uh, spends time uh, with the board. There's lots of ways to cut how how CEOs uh, interact with their boards. Uh, three pragmatic buckets uh, that I use are, are number one. There's a whole set of of uh, the fiduciary obligations or the, the 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 duty of care obligation that a board has to its owners, uh, which uh, is important. Uh, I don't think it's changed much. The second is uh, the board's oversight of value creation. Uh, this has typically not gotten as much focus, as I said earlier, um, given the emphasis on, on managing compliance and managing risk, and that's changed. And the third is broadly the, the, the uh, idea that the effectiveness of the top team and the board uh, can, can have a huge impact on the uh, trajectory of the company, the confidence with which uh, the management teams of companies uh, make decisions about the future and deal with investors about the choices they've made. Put, put another way, if, if the board is tentative and begrudging uh, in uh, its view of the corporation's strategy, it's very difficult for the management team to be assertive uh, uh, on matters of investments, be it CapEx or new products or, or uh, M&A. Uh, with its investors. It's interesting that, that you mention, and, and we certainly all believe, in the sort of importance of long-term value creation thinking. 
On, on the other hand, we do know that to this day from, from, from surveys and, and conversations that management feels a lot of pressure from the board for short-term performance. So how, you know, as a CEO, how do you start to have those conversations of the short-term versus the long-term, of the value creation for the shareholders versus if you want the next quarter and making the numbers and so on in, yeah. in that whole dynamic? It, it's a classic chicken and an egg situation. I think if you talk to most boards, there are uh, very few of them who uh, uh, doubt the importance of long-term value creation. And many of them would argue in turn that uh, uh, company management teams uh, don't always give them the um, the tools uh, uh, to, to play that long-term value creation role, and therefore they're reduced to playing almost a caricatured role in uh, driving short-term performance with sort of um, the, the usual uh, phrases uh, around uh, earnings and growth and things like that. So I, I think uh, both management teams and boards uh, with with relatively simple changes can com- completely change that dynamic. So what kind of simple changes are we talking about here, Bill? And, and so let me, let me uh, tick off what I, what I think uh, those are. Uh, surprisingly, uh, most CFOs and most board members will admit privately that the board does not have a comprehensive understanding of the value creation dynamics of the company and the industry. And it sounds uh, surprising, but but even blue-chip boards of directors um, will articulate that they have broad business judgment, they have the value creation experience that comes from their own company, but they don't have it for the company on which they are the board. The odd thing is, of course, very few board members will raise their hand and say, I really don't understand how uh, this particular industry creates value. Right. And the trade-offs uh, across growth and margin improvement and, and asset intensity. Um and uh, so I think that the first step is, if, if you're interested in long-term value creation, is to make sure that the board has a common vocabulary of value creation for that company. Because in the absence of that, each director, with the best of intentions, will bring his or her perspectives from their industry. And uh, given the diversity on boards in terms of uh, company backgrounds, you end up with something that is uh, uh, potentially not uh, accurate for the, for the company in question. So uh, it's a big opportunity for the CEO and the CFO uh, to make sure that uh, particularly new board members are brought on understanding the dynamics of intrinsic value creation uh, in the corporation uh, and its constituent parts, uh, obviously. But there has to be an acceptance to spend time on learning, right, from both sides of what yeah. works and what doesn't. Yeah, I, I think there is a general understanding that uh, the time obligation of a of a high performance board member today is greater than it might have been ten or fifteen years ago, um, and that's uh, uh, that is just it comes with the territory. Board members don't, in general, uh, resist the idea that being a high performance board member takes more time today than it might have a decade or two ago. I think what's uh, changed is particularly in the group that you're you're asking to bring outside views 
Um, there's an idea that those views need to be more closely tied to company-specific themes, strategic themes, operating themes, uh, that uh, um, will will allow the board to have a debate around specific choices that the company has to make with respect to investments in, in new products, new strategies, whereas 10 or 15 years ago, the that uh, orthogonal view was um, bringing, as I said earlier, uh, more of the, the general compliance risk um, sort of uh, basic diversity. And I think there's now maybe a, an interest in what I'd call related diversity, related in the sense that uh, it, it touches on choices that the company has on its strategy, uh, where directors could bring experience uh, from industries that may be further down the path in something like digitization, for example. Okay. So we talked about the importance of understanding the value creation dynamics. What are sort of some other sort of buckets, if you want, of what CEOs can drive? Yeah, the, the next one is perhaps an obvious one, but uh, also not uh, always uh, uh, core to the board's discussion. And that's the investor's view. When I talk to board members who have uh, been on the other end of, of uh, a campaign from either an activist or uh, an active investor, Suffice to say, they're usually a bit surprised uh, at uh, the difference between how these investors view the company and its performance and what has been the uh, the tone of the board uh, discussion. Now, to be clear, our, our bias is to pay attention to intrinsic investors, not uh, people who are in and out of the stock every, every five minutes. Uh, but intrinsic investors uh, have typically thoughtful critical, constructively critical views of, of companies. And uh, as a director, ensuring you hear that as directly as you can, uh, I think, is part of doing a good job. The, the other is it, it's not a bad idea, given the tenor uh, in today's markets, to understand what would an activist say about our company, even if you believe that an activist is is uh, 100 miles away from taking a run at the company. There is just something about uh, a, a, a manifestly critical view of the company and its portfolio and, and its performance. What is your view, Bill, in the context of, me, uh, of board members meeting other investors directly? <laughs> right? I've, sort of seen, I've sort of seen both yeah. practices, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think? I, I, I think it is inevitable that uh, uh, boards... Uh, find uh, mechanisms for more direct conversation with investors. Now, I say that with with important caveats that that uh, I think the general experience is that that it is important for for company senior management to be part of those meetings, except in exceptional circumstances. Not to mention, of course, compliance with with the regulations on how you communicate to investors. And and I think it's part of just the, the longer and larger secular trends in society and and. Uh, the ability to insulate uh, people from conversations like that is, is going away. Right. Maybe the third area in this area of, of board value creation is a shift to corporate strategy. That uh, one of the uh, common laments of both board members and company management teams is the enormous amount of energy and paper that go into detailed business unit strategy reviews, uh, often at an annual strategy offsite, uh, in a sense that uh, if everybody's honest, 
that's not an area in in most multi-business companies where board members are going to add a huge amount of value. The management teams of those business units are so deep uh, in in those markets that the odds that a a board member is going to be able to to, to really add a lot of value commensurate with the time required um, is, is not particularly credible. On the other hand, uh, much of the attention of activists uh, and much of the uh, um, crisis of confidence that came out of the Great Recession in some sectors has dealt with corporate strategy and its cousin uh, capital allocation. And uh, it at least would be my assertion that uh, boards are much more likely to be able to add value on the a handful of fundamental corporate strategic questions about where should this corporation uh, participate uh, in the economy in terms of the business it's own, it owns, uh, how the corporate center adds value to those businesses, and uh, the overall balance of where the cash generated from these businesses goes in terms of uh, uh, sure. to investors or, or within the company to, 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 to grow so, or expand. If, if I may interrupt you there, Bill, it, it, it's I think everybody agrees intellectually on those points, right? It is how do you actually start or drive that discussion? Practically speaking, is it the board, one member of the board, asking for a discussion on this? Is it a driven? Is the CEO? How does that? I think it's typically CEO led. I I think unless. uh, we're in the special circumstances of a company that's uh, under attack. I, I think it really is the CEOs uh, um, suggesting a pivot by the board, um, because most CEOs will also say, "Listen, this preparation of a thousand pages of, of uh, business unit-oriented strategy stuff is—it's uh, it, a huge distraction for the management team." Uh, and while the board members like meeting the managers, it, it's in a dog and pony show format that's probably not uh, all that conducive to um, real debate. And and so I've I've seen CEOs and board chairs, if it's a different person, just agree that they're going to start to shift, sometimes radically so, spend more time on corporate strategy. And, and the way practically that happens is typically the uh, – uh, the CEO and the lead director or the chair will agree on what are the four to six most critical corporate strategy questions that we face, and let's agree on a sequence uh, or grouping of how we tackle those things. So it goes from being an annual um, uh, offsite to a, a more fluid process that's organized around the specific corporate strategy questions. Now, Sometimes that's uh, diversification. Sometimes it's uh, simplifying the portfolio. Sometimes it's uh, more operational um, performance on on growth or or margin or or asset intensity. It's obviously very company-specific, but uh, it's not that hard a shift to make. And uh, at least my experience is both both the management teams and the boards are happier uh, when they spend their time on on those topics. So how can the CFO help in that, as sort of the you know the owner of the numbers and the valuation models and 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 those kind of things, I, I think it typically takes the CFO in partnership with the head of strategy and the CEO, um, because it it the CEO CFO's perspective on some of the parts on the value creation characteristics of each part of the portfolio are foundational. Um, 
if it's not done in conjunction with uh, somebody who's responsible for strategy, sometimes reporting to the CFO, uh, it, it can seem overly financial. And uh, um, so I, I think the best the best approach is the, is the tandem one with with the CFO uh, providing the analytic rigor. Uh, providing the healthy skepticism, if you will, on uh, the assumptions that, that underlie corporate strategy and typically the assumptions of kind of extrapolation of today's, uh, today's environments um, to dealing with uh, the possibility of, of uh, more, more radical step change. So, Bill, maybe going back to the board's role in value creation, what about the big buckets like capital spending and mergers and acquisitions? The relative importance of those two things obviously varies by by industry and by company. But uh, boards have always had a uh, fiduciary role in approving those uh, often large cash expenses. And what I'm suggesting is that they have a second, more important role to play on those, which is ensuring value creation performance. Uh, there has, in my judgment, been a bit of a mismatch between the attention boards paid to um, the P&L and the operating results and the attention they paid to the multi-year value creation effectiveness of these large uh, uh, events, be it a, an acquisition or be it a very large capital expenditure. Put another way, the boards uh, are responsible for making sure that the approval uh, is appropriate, that the the, the, the uh, rigor that goes into the uh, forecasts and, and um, programs to deliver value from these things is appropriate, and that role certainly can't go away. Uh, but, but I do see boards that are increasingly spending time on, uh, as, as we look across our M&A track record, as we look across our capital spending uh, track record, Are we delivering on these performance, and are we uh, creating the playbooks for value creation from balance sheet events, uh, M&A, divestitures, uh, capex that that we have always uh, paid attention to on the P&L side? Uh, so that that's a, another area where I see boards increasingly spending time. They recognize that that M&A is a is a quite powerful value value creation tool. It's also a quite powerful way to, to waste uh, shareholders' cash. Yeah, indeed. And We've seen both. <laughs> um, maybe we should, at, you know, towards the end here, come a little bit to maybe the more personal side of this, mm-hmm. of what the CEO, you know, how can you build trust? How do you actually build the relationships? Um, and what relationships should you build, right? Because there's something to be said to have friends on the board and something to be said to have, sure. um, you know, open discussion with folks who push back. Right? Yeah. Um, the number of aspects of it, it, it is at the end of the day a quite personal exercise. Uh, and uh, when, when you're in a, a boardroom that's high performance, you, you know from the minute you walk in that there is uh, a degree of personal connection and personal commitment uh, across the board and the management team. Uh, that allow them to have some quite tough debates and uh, uh, push the envelope on the thinking. I, I, I think starting with a CEO, there's, there's just uh, for, there's no substitute for having a trust-based relationship with with the lead director uh, or the chair if it's, a, if it's if it's a different person, and to make sure that that trust is built on uh, who you as a CEO are. Um, if you're a new CEO, to, to not try and uh, mimic necessarily your predecessor. 
and to have a uh, the early conversation with the lead director uh, of, of uh, how, how you'd like to work with the board. Uh, another thing that I find striking is, is the um, degree to which uh, high-performance boards have CEOs who are not defensive uh, on what their company has done and are not excessive advocates uh, of a strategy. They are um, comfortable enough as CEOs to have a real debate among thoughtful members of the board about both what they're doing today and, and possible paths to the future. Nothing shuts down a board faster than a CEO who's um, defensive uh, and, and a, uh, un or a an excessive advocate of a particular path and, and is not tolerant of, of debate. Uh, and, and lastly, I think in that personal relationship is to, to particularly for early on in a CEO's uh, relationship with the board, is to uh, uh, give the board confidence that in addition to mastering what's going on inside the company, that uh, that the CEO is uh, able to switch hats and can view the world through the uh, eyes of uh, investors, uh, can understand what makes media tick, uh, as, as complicated as that may be. Um, it's pretty important in terms of the perception of the company and its value creation. And, uh, of course, the government, and, and the government's role varies a lot by, by the industry and the company. So that, that's kind of the personal impact. I, I think that then you step away from that, and there's questions about, broadly speaking, how do you make it easy for the board members to be effective in the roles we've described? Uh, how is it that you set agendas? Uh, how do you uh, provide uh, materials that strike the right balance between synthesis and, and brevity, but enough meat? that allows the, the board to dig in and, and above all, uh, set a, uh, a very high standard uh, for the, the, the quality of the material that gets sent from the company uh, to the board. One of the jokes that, that we sometimes hear, right, is sort of this, we have to, you know, dumb it down for the discussion, right, whatever the discussion that is. And it strikes me that what you have been laying out here is sort of exactly the opposite, right? It's educating yes. the board yes. in detail and on complicated issues, spending significant time that everybody truly understands what the implication of, say, an M&A move is or a CapEx right. investment or a right. geographic investment, right? So, so it is really, you know making everybody smarter than they are today about these decisions, right? I think you're, you're, you're right. I think the, an attitude that I have to dumb it down for the board is doomed, and at least in my experience, completely inappropriate, that uh, boards are, are thoughtful, they're interested in doing what's right, and uh, if, if you give them the right material and set up for a discussion, uh, they will uh, they'll deliver on it, and uh, at least until proven otherwise, then, then you have a different question. Uh, it's probably outside the scope of this uh, this conversation. Um, you know, back back to my my earlier premise of uh, a more issue opportunity driven uh, view of the world is is just explicit agreement on what are the priorities for the board. I mean, the board can spend time on a uh, hundred different things, um, and uh, it, it's uh, it warrants a conversation between the CEO and the lead director and the board more broadly about. What are the handful of things uh, that this board ought to spend time on? And, and if you will, make sure that the board is not uh, uh, in a rut with respect to its agenda and where it spends its time. Because 
uh, where the board spent time five years ago may not be the right place uh, for the board to spend time today. Um, do you need more time or less time on strategy? Do you need more time or less time on organization and talent and leadership? Do you need more time or less time on the government? So there, there's, a, there's a whole set of uh, questions that uh, um, often don't get asked. Well, with that, thank you, Bill, for the conversation. Uh, it's always a pleasure to listen thank from you. the real experts. I appreciated the chance.